You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to the Prehistories Podcast with me, your host, Kim Bidelf. Um, we, this is a very special episode, although all my episodes are special, obviously. Um, but we're stepping a little bit outside prehistory today. Usually on my podcasts, we talk about prehistoric novels, or novels set in prehistory, I should say. Um, because of course, prehistory is a time without writing. So we look at the ways that modern writers have brought it to life. Um, but, my love of books has really stemmed from fantasy novels, and there is no greater fantasy writer than George R. R. Martin. And so I'd always felt that I needed to talk about uh, the books that George R. R. Martin has written, particularly A Song of Ice and Fire, which is the proper name for what a lot of people know as Game of Thrones. Um, so we'd, oh, I'm going to talk about this today. And two people who I often talk about Game of Thrones with um, join me tonight. Um, they are two of my very good friends. Um, there is uh, Lucy Hooten, who um, I went to university with uh, quite a long time ago now. We don't don't want to talk about that really, do we, Luce? No. <laughs> it's lovely <laughs> to speak to you about this. You you have encyclopedic knowledge about Game of Thrones, I think, don't you? Um, that might be a bit of an exaggeration, but yeah we'll see <laughs> you always seem to when we ch- chat about it anyway <laughs> and um lucy uh, obviously with me studied archaeology and geography um and is now a teacher in schools um and so and a, a fan of of fantasy fiction like myself um and i am also joined by brett thorne who is um the curator of archaeology at my local museum, the um, Bucks County Museum in Aylesbury. Hello, Brett. Hi, Kim. Lovely to have you over. Thank you. We're actually, I've actually got Brett here in my living room because, you know, he only lives five minutes away, so he thought <laughs> he'd come over rather than doing Skype uh, with Brett. And we're having a beer, so cheers. Cheers indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you've got a beer, Luce, or a or glass of wine. I have wine. I have wine. Ah, good, good, Very good. Specific. So we're all, we're all on the same wavelength, so. Sorry, just having a... A sip. That's that's going to be the problem then. So, um, let the the Game of Thrones and Song of Ice and Fire, um, obviously has been around for a very long time before all of these new <laughs> fans have come on board with their newfangled TV show. Um, I think the first one was published in something like two thousand or something. It was a lot anyway, quite quite a long time ago, and. We're patiently waiting <laughs> for the next instalment of book six, even though the series six has been filmed. Now, oh, I should tell you, Lucy, I don't know where, yes. where have you got to in the in the shows? We, I am completely up to date in the shows and the books. Damn. <laughs> yeah, now, Brett, Brett and I are a bit behind you. Um, oh, I've right. only seen up to the end of series five. What about you, Brett? Series four. Series four. Read, read all the books. Be careful but... what I say, though. Yeah. Yes, I Spoiler think, alert. Yes, please don't spoil it for us. I know this. a lot of the people out there who will be listening to the podcast will have seen everything, um, but we're going to keep it probably to the first four or five. But you, I mean, you know the books. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's fine. So we can at least <laughs> yeah. go up to the end of book five, um, yes. if not series five, which is slightly different. Anyway, um, that's quite... Uh, what do you think about the difference between the... 
the books and the and the show brett um i think he had to start sort of playing to a tv audience didn't he and i mean that's that's really what it's for um the sort of the split in the books kind of moving from the gibrax kind of just focused on a couple of characters and then doing another book on a different couple of characters is was never going to work on a tv series because obviously you've got to keep paying the actors mm. so they, 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 they physically <laughs> couldn't do that or they, you know, financially they were never going to do that yeah. they weren't going to leave you two years to hear what happened to aria so um i think they've had to kind of split the books and, and mishmash them around to, to kind of make it chronolo- kind of fit chronologically again mm. um which i don't think would have been a bad thing to do to the books to be perfectly honest it makes it yeah. more um understandable yeah, because there was one book, it was book four, wasn't it, that was split into two. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, that made it very difficult because you had to read a whole book without knowing what happened to Tyrion. And I was like, <laughs> well, Tyrion's my favourite character. Um, I mean, what do you think? They have introduced new storylines based or changed storylines quite dramatically, haven't they, Lucy? Yeah, they have. And they've sort of um, sort of amalgamated characters, like mm. two characters into one. Here's like, like, for instance, Gendry and um, what's he called? Oh, yeah, that other guy. Um, what's he called? What's he called? It's one of um, Robert Brethian's... Um, am I allowed to say that word? Yeah. yeah. Children don't listen to this. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I can't... What's his name? Edric. Edric Storm. Is it Edric Storm? Oh, yeah, is. that's right, yeah. Um, and they sort of amalgamated the characters into one, didn't they, with the whole leeches and everything with... Yeah. Uh, Good old Melisandre, um, which presumably goes back to what Brett was saying about paying actors. You know, you, if, if you can pay one actor rather than two, then, you know, it's easy, a bit bit cheaper, isn't it? For the one of the, uh, <laughs> well, there is that. Series just, on television. <laughs> yeah, or just get rid of characters altogether. I mean, I, I'm a bit yeah, sad sure. about the whole um, Catelyn Stark's family, the, um, uh, the you know, Blackfish and, and oh, yeah, all of those. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a shame that they're completely, I assume, don't say anything loose if they're in Series 6, but um, <laughs> they've just been excised, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying but, to think of other know, examples as well, but there's, I definitely know there's points as I've gone through that I've thought, oh, hang on a minute, where's so-and-so? They're supposed to be in this bit and <laughs> yeah. that sort of thing. And um, But I must say, I, I mean, I, I actually came to the books a lot later. I came to the books after the show had started, so it's a, it's a bit weird for me in a way because I, d- I don't know why because I'm sure you'd mentioned them to me before so I don't know why I'd never ever read yeah, them. Yeah, I don't know. But, um, I, I talked to you about them like about at least I, 10 years ago. I know. I, I don't understand why I never read them because you know me, you know, I was in Waterstones all the time in the days when you went to Waterstones rather than on Amazon to buy yeah. things. Um, and, uh, you know, I was constantly lapping up any any lo- any long series I could possibly find. And it didn't add sort of 12 or 14 books. <laughs> it was even better. But uh, I don't know why I didn't lap these up years ago. But, um, yeah, so so I, I actually watched the whole series one and then started reading the books, which in some ways is good because... You didn't know that Ned Stark was going to die. I didn't know that Ned Stark was going to die. That was a hell of a shock. And also, like my, my, my main characters in my head are actually the ones that are in the show. You know, I haven't had that sort of disappointment of where they look wrong, if you yeah. say to me, with the main characters, obviously, that were introduced in the first series, which That's has helped tough. a little bit in that respect. But, think, and of course, the first series and the first book are very similar. Yes. It's like, yeah. After that, it's sort of diverse quite a lot. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and I quite I quite like some of the things that they've done where they've created they've they've given, um, say for instance the um Roz who was a very small character in very, oh, just yes. in the very yeah, first yeah. chapter yeah. and created her a whole new role which is lovely mm. and it yeah, worked yeah. really well and then in the latest season which we won't tell you about um they have <laughs> they they substitute um a, a main character for a small character um. 
up in the north somewhere. Do you know who I'm talking about, Lucy? I'm trying to uh, my main character. Female one. And <laughs> Go on, oh yes, of course. Sorry, yes, that's very obvious. Yes, got that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the, the bad things happen to her instead of to the other one. And it's um, uh, and I think first, I really didn't like that at first. At yeah. first, I was like, "What is going on?" Literally to the television. What is going on? No, no. Why is that person going there? That's that's wrong. But actually, but otherwise, her story is quite boring. So I it, think you probably it know is, and and it makes it makes that part of the story quite quite interesting. And without divulging anything beyond series five, obviously, it it all ties in again a bit later, which is quite nice as well. And actually. If you hadn't, if you haven't read the books, it, it all works out quite nicely. If you see what I mean in the end, and I must admit, I've grown to like that sort of change. I suppose to the uh, the original. I books, think that's the thing. Good. I quite, I quite, yes, I quite like, um, I quite like the fact that the TV series is different because it's a whole new part of George R. R. Martin's world, mm. which is which is what I love. I love that world that he's created. And why don't we talk about it? Okay, so <laughs> that was a good segue, don't you think? I'm very good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm good at this. Um, so I thought that, first of all, we've got to um, take on board the geography rather than the history yeah. of yeah. Game of Thrones. So obviously Westeros um, is supposed to be, part of it is supposed to be Britain, but um, it's much, much bigger. Particularly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it goes much further south and therefore down in Dawn, which for a long time I hadn't worked out was actually attached to the rest of Westeros. All right. Um, it's yeah. lovely and beautiful and, um, Mediterranean, and hot. It's really, Mediterranean. It? Yeah, it yeah. It's very sort of like Spain. But even Italy King's or... Landing, even King's Landing is much warmer than you would get anywhere in England. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> so, um, what? How, did you have any ideas about what where King's Landing actually is, Brett? I, I don't know. You see, I, until I saw series i don't think i pictured king's landing mm. as being quite so hot and and dry and and it but then you you go back to the books and you realize that yeah, he yeah. was talking mm. about yeah. that with the gardens and the and the lemon trees and things like that yeah i mean it, it definitely has a sort of a um a kind of a sort of post-roman feel doesn't it it's definitely central somewhere in in um Again, I mean, with that kind of temperature, you're looking at Southern Europe, aren't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's not going to be anywhere else. Or, I mean, it could be Northern Africa if you're moving the world around, but I, I think it's probably sort of Italy, Spain, that kind of um, yeah, that kind of region, really. Yeah. In fact, I mean, if um, if we think about the the mythology that's built into the Game of Thrones, into Westeros and the and the whole world. Um, the uh, Westeros was originally inhabited by the first men, and then the Andals came and invaded. Now, who are the Andals? Are the Andals the Romans, or are the Andals the Anglo-Saxons, or is it a combination of all of them? And therefore, is King's Landing actually um, standing for, like, Rome, for instance? Is that kind of the Roman conquerors who are taking over the whole place, or what? As it's just a, but it, but obviously this is all supposition. What do you think, mm. Luce? I don't know really. I've always seen the first men as being the Celts or, you know, the certainly the early people that lived in Britain. I've always seen them. Do you have Celts in Britain? All right, all right sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I went on about that at uni. You must have listened. To, you didn't listen. You didn't but, listen. Well, the earliest people, well, some of the earlier people that lived here anyway, let's put it that way, uh, and lived in, in Scotland and lived in the West Country and lived in Wales, you know. And then the thing is with, I think, with George R. R. Martin is he, 
it, there's almost little clues in some of the words. So you've got, I mean, I know we'll probably go on to this later, but like the Lannisters and the Lancasters, you know, there's, there's sort of hints in the words that they sound similar. So I don't know, but I've always thought of the Andals as obviously sounding very much like the Angles. Um, but, but in some ways, I feel it seems more like the Romans coming over here into i don't know i don't know really i'm not sure but i think he puts a lot of clues in words so that's what i've always taken it as anyway um but obviously he just because it's a fantasy he plays around with what he fancies i suppose really doesn't he takes things out i know it gives him so much freedom really doesn't yeah it? Yeah. yeah which is wonderful yeah. really and that's what story that's good storytelling is all about is being able to use i suppose good bits of history and then making it into whatever you like really you know yeah use all the, the gory and the good bits i guess <laughs> I think it's. I mean, it's 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 possible, I guess, to kind of put the Romans as as the first men and the Andals as the Angles, um, especially yeah, if you think true. sort of Bran yeah, the Builder true. building the wall and that mm. being Hadrian's Wall, yeah, and the start saying yeah. that kind of the, the you know the blood of the first men is still in their veins. So, because of course, when you think about Roman Britain, if we actually go back to the archaeology here rather than <laughs> the fantasy, if you think about Roman Britain, not many people were actually Roman from no, Rome. That's true. In fact, quite a lot of the people who came in because the Roman legions were there were actually from all sorts yeah, of places around true. the empire. But the majority of the population was still yeah, British. That's true. Yeah, that's true. And therefore it kind of links both, doesn't it? Mm. You have the pre, pre-Roman Britons uh, being ruled by um, by Romans and, and people from the Roman Empire. Um, and then you've got the Angles come in and... But it don't, it don't, you don't get a sense, though, that there was a, which we, is all with the narrative in history, is that the Romans had very advanced civilization and then the Angles went backwards. You hmm. do feel in Game of Thrones that the Angles, are, the Andals, <laughs> <laughs> are actually um, making things less superstitious and less um, less weird um, and stuff. But that might that's their history, isn't it? They've written their yeah, own history, yeah, so true. that's that makes sense. I mean, this, I mean, they're certainly bringing essentially Christianity with the Septons yeah. and the um, yeah. is, is the um, despite the fact you put seven gods on it, they're still clearly the churches feel Christian. There's there's an organised hierarchy. You're not talking about um, the kind of the, the pre pre sort of the early Roman or pre Roman paganism. So the kind of the, the with the trees faith, and things yeah. like that, exactly, which is the clearly kind of the, the Druidism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the kind of the, the kind of the faith aspect definitely kind of links the Andals to. Um, the sort of the that kind of Christian, I and mean, then they then they almost become sort of high medieval, really, aren't they? That's the, it, yeah. It, it pinched the church from a much later period and, and added it in, yes. hasn't it? It's a, yeah. Well, there are a lot of later periods because this isn't an Anglo-Saxon country, is it? This is this does not feel no. Saxon. No. It feels medieval. medieval absolutely. It fe- it, you've got castles, you've got knights in armor, full armor. You've got uh, jousts for fun. Mm. You've got the feudal system. Um, so yeah, it's it's very much. Um, the conti- but it's the continuation of that without having the Normans coming in, I guess. Um, and if, unless anyone can think of any Normans, no, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. <laughs> There's not another invasion, is there? Unless the Andals are the Normans. Yeah. Yes, but oh, I don't know. Yes, but oh, I don't know. Not, not, it doesn't, doesn't feel no, right, does it? I don't think no. so. I don't think so. And they've been there for a long time mm, as well. That's true. <sighs> that's true. So, yeah. So... so mm. So anyway, um, <laughs> it's quite, um, if we if we stay with the Romans and Saxons, then so um, the the most striking um, bit of the history of the British Isles that you see in uh, well, I think so anyway in the um, in the Game of Thrones is the yeah. Wall. Mm-hmm. So the Wall it divides 
um, a, the very northerly bit of Westeros from the rest, yep. and it's across a narrow isthmus of land, except that narrow isthmus is a lot bigger than <laughs> um, uh, in Britain itself with Hadrian's Wall. Um, apparently, George R. R. Martin went to visit Hadrian's Wall, mm. and he stood there and he looked at it and he could see it stretching along for ages and see all the mild castles, and he thought... Yeah, this is good, but let's make it 300 miles long and 700 feet high and made of ice. Yeah, cool. Of course. <laughs> and what, because that's what you can do that. And why not? I mean, that's pretty awesome. Um, so it's clearly much further north, <laughs> if yeah. you think, in the, temp- um, in the in the tundra zone, really, um, and uh, much longer and higher. Uh, and I think they've done it really well in the... Um, it looks exactly how yes, I imagined it, it was. Yeah. massive, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. And you see the, the winch going up. Um, to the top is fan- is, yeah. is brilliant, um, and obviously the um, it's at the end of the the wall's use. So all of those castles along the line of the wall have fallen I've out. Absolutely of, fallen together. Yeah, yeah. Apart, and so that's very similar to the mild castles mm-hmm. and forts that were along the line of of Hadrian's Wall as well. Which, um, which kind of puts the wall into the wall linked to Hadrian's Wall into the kind of the post Roman period, really, yeah. isn't it? It's the point where there, there isn't anybody left to man it. There's kind mm. of the last few soldiers are there because they have to be, mm. and they've sort of been tied to it. They don't have a choice. Um, I, I know in, in sort of Game of Thrones, he's recruiting sort of three criminals and thieves and yeah. very, very few volunteers. In the kind of the late Roman period, obviously the troops are essentially become hierarchical. In that, if your father is a is a soldier, you've got to be a soldier. You haven't got any choice in the matter. Mm. Um, so it's a kind of a you're fed off the land as in. Exactly the same as the kind of the people are providing food and equipment to the soldiers because clearly they, they can't defend themselves, they can't feed themselves. Mm. Somebody's got to man the wall, but nobody wants to pay for it. And that, that very much feels like a kind of sort of a late Roman wall. It's not kind of when the wall, wall's being built. Yeah. Mm. It's only 300 yeah. years in archaeological terms. How long is it in. Do, do we know how long it is since Brand the Builder? 8,000 years, apparently. 8,000 years. That's quite years. a long time, mm. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if their years are shorter than ours or something. I don't know. Well, I mean, the, it's. I mean, is it eight thousand long years? Because I mean, you have long winters and short winters, don't you? And, yeah. You know, it's, you have. Um, yeah, you have winters that last for years. But how? Yeah. How long? How long is a year? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. I know. Well, I mean, he's he's messing with physics. I don't know. <laughs> he can. He feels big enough to be able to. Well, do that, that it's interesting. Actually, I've just thought that whole year thing. Of course, goes with the whole ages. If you think about the ages of the. Um, children, I suppose we would call them, in the books, which they've obviously had to age them up for the show to make a lot of it appropriate, really, um, because they're actually very young. You know, they're, you know, they're very, yeah, absolutely. very young I mean, in the books. Was Bran six yeah. and Daenerys is 13 or something? 13 or something, or something. yeah, I think. So obviously they had to age them up. So whether that's because actually the years... Hang on, I need to get this around the right way. Does that mean the years are longer there or does that mean the years are oh, shorter? That's I don't know. I've literally just thought of this now. Right. Literally just come into my head now. So I don't know whether that's why. Well, what would... But what would? Although is would it just it be, because he was when he was thinking about writing it, he wasn't thinking about filming it, the first book, and so having a thirteen-year-old kind of being in an arranged dynastic marriage is it, not out yeah, of the case true. for medieval it's, Europe. Yeah, it's uh, so, in fact some parts yeah, of the world totally, nowadays. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not absolutely. It's um, we yeah we've got to we we can't view things with our um, very blinkered British mm, eyes sometimes. But um um. Yeah, so it could be that, but I, I quite like the idea of investigating whether living on a planet with a longer year does anything to would would actually be possible 
for to sustain life i don't know because we're in the gulf we're going in science here sorry but i'm quite interested in this because we we um <laughs> we live in this goldilocks zone where we're just mm. far enough away from the sun mm. and just close enough and we've got water and we've got an atmosphere um that life could evolve but uh what if the year was longer mm. have you ever um the heliconia series brian aldis sci-fi no there's three books see i don't on... get on with sci-fi i see but it, but it has a kind of a, it's kind of like the game of thrones year but much much bigger so spring lasts for hundreds and hundreds of years oh and then summer lasts for hundreds and hundreds and then winter lasts for hundreds and hundreds so the people kind of in summer have legends about winter yeah but when winter starts coming they, the whole planet kind of goes into an ice age ah. and so it, it's kind of a it, it, it writes kind of writes the seasons on the scale of centuries um because the, the idea is the planet is in a slightly um um the orbit is kind of is off so it, it kind of it has seasons where it's it's still orbiting the, the, their sun, but it has kind of centuries where it's closer to the sun, and then centuries where it's further away. Mm, yeah. Um, and that kind of it's a, a complete um, divergent. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I thought also the the whole point. So you're a Romanist, Brett. Um, and the whole point of the wall is not um actually the Hadrian's Wall, I should say. It's not really a defensive wall, is it? No, not no. slightly. Um, I mean, it has kind of gates going both ways. It, it's a it's a point of control. You can kind of tax people coming through and, and, and control goods going to and from. But there's, there's no way they ever had enough men to physically defend it. If somebody wanted to get over it, they would. Mm. You know, um, you would probably have trouble moving a big army over it. But it's a it's it's a symbolic kind of this is where we stop. And mm. and I think George Martin's wall is the same. It's the kind of the this is where we stop. Why they didn't want the rest of it is another matter. In both cases, I suppose. I mean, the Romans obviously did go beyond Hadrian's Wall, yeah. built the Antonine Wall, and then kind of gave up and came back, mostly because the kind of the, the locals gave them too much trouble, I think. Um, and I mean, maybe the same is true of of, of the kind of the area north, the wildlings mm-hmm. north of the wall. Is that it's just too much trouble? There's no money there. There's no you can't farm it. It's almost impossible to live. So the kind of even the Starks don't want the area north of the wall to control. So why would you bother invading it? Yeah. And in, in many ways, there's a, a similarity between the way that the um, the um, the Andals of um, uh, of game in the Game of Thrones, people of Westeros, feel about their wildlings um, and the way that the Romans kind of um, uh, denigrated the people north of there, yeah. mm-hmm. Picti, yeah. and, yeah. you know, just said that they were... Um, savages mm. that cover themselves in paint and that's why they were called the picti they were pictured they had pictures on them um and we and you know there i have i've been reading blogs about there's so much out there guys <laughs> about the history in game of thrones and some of it's a little bit misleading and you know about the um the pict that the, the people who lived in scotland were actually savage and so on but they had beautiful art they had wonderful um uh gold work and and all sorts of things and they made these uh, standing stones they had towns they had forts you know they it's just that we don't know that much about them no uh, but they're uh, not savages well it, it kind of depends on, on on what you mean by savagery really, doesn't it <laughs> um in, in terms of kind of from a roman cultural point of view they were um mm. we don't know much about their their culture in terms of their their sort of their laws and, and no, the because they their lived. language has completely disappeared precisely mm. um but i mean you can look at people like the Aztecs in, in sort of Central America, 
they're to to the way we look at them and to the way the Spanish looked at them when they arrived, they were savages. I mean, they were cutting people's hearts out for you know as a religious ritual. They but beautiful goldwork, incredible architecture. Oh yes. So they, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it, it, it's kind of you know it's who, well, it's who's calling savage and, and what do they mean? Yeah, by but it? the people in 16th century Europe were hardly not doing nasty <laughs> no, 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 things no, no, to no, each I, other. Absolutely, but it's, it's, it's when somebody does something <laughs> beyond your taboos. Every culture yeah. has its kind of areas where you don't go. Yeah. And when somebody else goes yeah. beyond it, then they're, they're barbarians, aren't they? Yeah. Right. Well, right at the moment, we're going to take a little break um, and we're going to come back and talk about the main focus, the Game of Thrones, the Game <laughs> of Thrones, which is obviously based on the Wars of the Roses. So listen to these messages from the Archaeology Podcast Network and we'll be back in a minute. Women in Archaeology is a show about archaeology by the women of archaeology. An alternating panel of women archaeologists discuss the issues in archaeology that impact professionals and the public every day. Check out Women in Archaeology for a different perspective on the past today at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash WIA. Now let's get back to the show. Hello and welcome back to the Prehistories podcast. So we're talking Game of Thrones, which has got us all very animated with the help of a little bit of alcohol, which is only <laughs> just and right. It should be mead. It should be mead. <laughs> no, wine. Why? Tyrion. Tyrion has wine. I mean, he has. That's that's what he. That's that's um, the only thing you can have. Except we've got beer. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the whole, the central part of the story of A Song of Ice and Fire is the um, the Game of Thrones. It's the battle for the throne of Westeros, for the Iron Throne. And uh, what the, you mentioned this earlier, Lucy, that clearly um, it's uh, you've got the, the Yorks and the Lancasters. I mean, there's yeah. nothing clearer than Stark and Lannister, really, is there? <laughs> Not at all. It's very, they're so similar sounding, aren't they? And, you know, it's, uh, yeah, pretty obvious that that's what the uh, implication is for those names, yeah. And uh, would you say that the um, Starks are good Yorkshire people? Oh, obviously, and, so sh- and surely Honest. so would you. Um, <laughs> uh, I know, I'm from Yorkshire. I, you see, I, uh, to start with, you love the Starks, don't you? Oh, yeah. Love them. You think they're yeah. honourable. Just like in, in a normal in a normal fantasy novel, yeah. they should win straight away yeah. and, and be all still alive because they're the honourable ones. Um, and then eventually I find myself just i mean you can't you can't help but love Tyrion, and then mm-hmm. he, he makes you love jamie oh, i know and then he tries to make you love cersei and i haven't quite got there yet there's, there's, but, there's um, the odd little i don't know chap there's odd little bits in chapters and the odd little scene where you can sim you know em- well, empathize with her a little bit about her children with jamie uh, no i love yeah. jamie now he's fantastic <laughs> and i think um but you think to yourself well if if um, this is this all works out, then then uh, like the Wars of the Roses, then do the Lannisters win? Let's hope not. The Lancasters won. Oh dear, there's, there's only mm-hmm. one the Lannister I want to win, and dragon. yeah, it's not the Lannisters. Um, <laughs> oh, but one might, one who has gone away, yes. and then will come back with foreign aid. Yes. Now, if anyone doesn't know anything about the Wars of the Roses, do have can you can you give us a pricey Lucy or shall I? Give I'd really rather you did because I my my pricey will be very short because it's one period in history I never studied, so I only know bits that I've picked up. So I'm not not as much of an expert as you are. So you do it. Not at all an expert, <laughs> but 
Um, so you've got the the great um, Edward the Fourth, um, who is a Lancaster Lancastrian, um, who becomes king at the age of eighteen, having overthrown the previous king, um, a mad king, funnily mm. enough, um, Henry the Sixth. Um, and it's all wonderful and fantastic. He does get so he he is clearly he's very tall. He's very uh, physically able. He's a womanizer. He has lots of um, uh, bits on the side, and so he's clearly Robert Baratheon, um, overthrown a mad king, taken the throne for himself. He had two very difficult brothers, Ooh. Edward the Fourth, um, who ended up both dying in pretty uh, nasty circumstances. Um, Richard the Third, of course, being um, uh, who, who tried to take, who was one of his brothers, his youngest brother, actually managed to become the king before he then got killed at the battle of Bosworth. Um, there's also the point when Edward the Fourth dies, when he's only about forty-two. Um, then you've got um, his wife um, and his brother fighting to decide who's going to be the regent and who's going to look after the 13-year-old heir to the throne, um, who's also called Richard, which is annoying. <laughs> um, they're all called the same thing <laughs> in the in the Middle Ages. Um, and then, of course, you've got um, Edward IV's nephew, I think it is. From, uh, yeah, because it, it was his sister's son, um, who uh, is the Earl of Richmond. Henry, the Earl of Richmond, goes over to France and he's, he's kind of passed pillar to post around France until he can find a duke to help him um, to invade and take take the country again. Uh, and then you get the Tudors. Yay! And everything is peaceful. So um, <laughs> is is that foreign aid going to be Daenerys? Mm. Is it... Or is she going to uh, take over for herself? What do you think, Luce? Oh, I don't think she'd be... I don't think she's willing <laughs> to be the foreign aid, is she? She, she wants it all for herself. Um, you know, she, she is Khaleesi, so, you know... Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean she's she's uh, related to the Mad Henry the Sixth, or sorry, Rhaegar Targaryen. Yes. So Rhaegar Targaryen. So um, uh, yeah. What's I mean, it's what's wonderful is that it's all based on this, but it doesn't have to slavishly follow follow that the same traje- trajectory, does it? Because it's not a historical novel. No, it's fantasy. Exactly. As we've said, you know, different periods in history are represented at the same time and they're obviously not in the right order necessarily. And, you know, um, as we've said before, you know, George R. R. Martin can just choose the bits he likes and put them together however he likes. So I don't I don't think Daenerys is going to be the foreign aid. She's coming across and she's having Westeros to herself. I think that's the plan. Um, and I don't think anybody's going to stand in a way if she can help it. Anyway, that's the impression I get. It's her throne, isn't it? <laughs> It's her. It's her throne. She's she's yeah. you know, and she, she she said that again and again. She feels it's her. You know, it's her denied but actually, birthright. We do you know what? what something that we've forgotten is that there was the another invasion of Westeros yeah. after the Andals, yeah. and it was the Targaryen. Exactly. So you know, Valyria, yeah, from Valyria. So that's clearly going to be a Roman in, or something like that invasion. Yeah. If the order's with, the same. With dragons. Well, yes, with dragons. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a Roman or 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 Norman or something. I mean, I suppose if you considered the dragons to be the kind of the the ultimate war machine, then the dragons could be the Roman legions. Mm. I mean, essentially, it's a kind of it's a military superiority, isn't it? Yes, it's true. A bit that nobody can stand yeah. against. Um, so it's essentially it's there the, must be a, there must be a way. I'm sure they'll find a way because the the obsidian blades, the dragon glass, obviously 
beat the White Walkers, um, no, that's not going to beat the dragons because that wouldn't no. work. So what <laughs> what will beat the dragons? Well, the what? Yeah. I don't know. You see, they might be all. What I think is quite fun about this is that the Game of Thrones is all happening, and everybody's really focused <laughs> on that because that's happening in front of them. And there's these dragons yep. over the sea, yeah. and there's these White that's Walkers yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. north of the wall, and you think to yourself. They really blink yeah. it because obviously yeah. those they don't believe in those things. But that, that that's the song of fire and ice, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. The fire is the dragons, the ice is the white walkers. Yeah. The Game of Thrones is just, you know, child's play in the middle. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a side show. It's when the dragons meet the white walkers that it's all going to yeah. kick off. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and will that ever happen? That's the thing. It's always in the background. And or the other thing that's been missing from the show is where more people have come back to, not come back to life, but they've been kind of resurrected a little yes. bit, you know? So yes. you didn't have Lady Stoneheart, which was really sad, I know. and her and um, and Rob back. So Catelyn and Rob didn't come back and mm. do their thing, um, which I think was a bit sad, really, because that was. I mean, although their their part in the books was very small. Yeah, it's so, um, but but I think that's for a reason in the show. I think it's that if you keep resurrecting people too often, then the show watchers, let's say. I'll think you can resurrect people more often, if that makes any sense. I'm trying to be cryptic now. Sorry. Um, but, I know but you I, are. But I, yeah. I know what happens. I'm trying to avoid all of the memes about Series yeah, 6. But And, of course, at the end of Book 5, you're like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing. And But you're not sure. You're really not sure, what you know, that it's that it's really true. Um, so, yeah, and Melisandre is there. Yeah. And mm. what does the God of Fire do? Absolutely. You know? Thoros of Mir brought back What's-His-Face. That was really a long time ago yeah. Yeah. in the very first series. Yeah. This is the other thing. You've really got to think about... You've got to, It's so difficult keeping track of what's already happened. I don't know how he does it because he's got so much more detail I in the know. books. I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's perhaps why another reason why you have so many less characters yes. and yes. why you have characters being merged just because it's easier to keep track of them for the audience. Yeah. And you're kind of you're sort of playing to a short attention span, aren't yeah. you? So, mm. um, twenty more characters with similar names, probably not going to go down. So yeah, well. exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, I've got I've got quite yeah. a lot of friends who just watched the show, and they seem to have enough trouble keeping up with who all the characters are, you know. And then when I mention, well, actually, that's supposed to be somebody else, and then there's actually supposed to be these other people. They're just like, oh no, we can't get to grips with that. But I think when you're reading obviously the pace is a bit slower you can check back a few pages you know which you don't tend to do when you're watching yeah. something you might re-watch it but you tend not to rewind back very often so um, i think that's probably why and and to be honest you need to reread the books anyway i tend to reread them every time a new series comes out i start rereading the books again and i still pick up on things wow. that's dedication i know but i'm just a bit yeah. of a geek um but then um, but I, I still pick up on things that i hadn't picked up on before and then I'll suddenly, I mean, I'll suddenly be in book one again and I'll suddenly read out something to my husband who only watches the show and just say, hey, what about this? I wonder what you think this means. And, uh, you know, obviously I don't put any spoiler, well, I can't spoil anything for him now anyway because he's as far ahead as uh, um, everybody is. But, um, yeah, so I read out the occasional thing and I say, oh, yeah, do you think maybe that means that such and such is going to happen? It probably doesn't, but, you know, you sort of pick up on these extra things. So, um, so yeah, I, I think somewhere I read that there's, it actually said how many characters there were you know, actually named wow. characters that are in more than yeah. just one scene, and there's a lot. I can't remember even the number, but there's a hell of a lot. Yeah. Oh, dear. I think in the... But that's... What I love about it is that it's kind of more like real life. Yeah. Um, I'll, I know that sounds weird when you talk about Game of Thrones, <laughs> but it's... Um, he's kind of... He does, in the books, he has random people just turn up and do something, yeah. because that does 
uh, you know, that would happen. Sometimes people, uh, you know, you don't... It's Meet not, once and never come back. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you, you don't necessarily... Um, you can't have all of the main characters doing it, but as you be right with a with a TV show, um, you have to kind of get um, uh, narrow that down because, as you say, it gets confusing. I've always been really impressed by your ability to remember all the names, those. Yeah, well, that's because I reread the books too often, I think. Um, but it's, I think it's also that you kind of, uh, you know, when you're watching a film or you're watching um, a program or whatever, the characters kind of need to go on a sort of story arc and get somewhere. Um, and um, at the moment, obviously, we're all still wondering what that is for Gendry, because, you know, obviously in the show, he's still presumably rowing somewhere out in the sea. Um, is he going to come back? You know, a lot of people are like, is Gendry going to come back or not? Because, you know, we haven't seen him for a long while. You know, we haven't seen him. Um, um, what's the... Whereas I wouldn't waste time thinking about Gendry. Oh, no. See, it's, yeah, yeah, but he, is, he still has royal blood in him. Royal blood, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, that still, you know, potentially makes him interesting anyway. And, of course, there's the youngest Stark boy that everybody's forgotten about several books ago. What's he called? Yeah. I remember him. What's the youngest Rickon. one called? Rickon, thank you. And, of course, he's disappeared, presumably off to the last half, you know, and nobody's seen him for, I don't know, three, four books or something. So everybody's like, well, is he going to come back into it? You know, because you know, we, yeah. we are beginning to run And there are these... There's so many forums. Well, I remember following a forum for a long time when the books were still there, with all these theories about who's who, who is so and so's parents, and who, yeah. what's going to happen. Oh, what do you think? John's parents. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who do you think um, is going to uh, be on the throne at the end? And you can't predict it because he will just. Do you think he? Do you think he changes things based on what people are saying? You think he says, "Oh no, they all think that so and so is going. What is going to end up on the throne? I'm going to kill her off." I think if he spends his life reading those forums, that might be where the books aren't getting read. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. That probably is it. He's always got little side projects, hasn't he? Where he, it's like I see his credits when he's written one of the one of the episodes of Game of Thrones. I'm like, no, you should well, be writing the book, not the TV. Exactly. Show. Stop writing it. Yeah. Get on get on with that book that we've been waiting half our lives for. Leave it to Benioff and the other guy. They're they're yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Um but this this takes me back because uh, you know how you reread the books, Luz. I reread the books um uh, uh once oh, it's a couple of years ago now and um I was on book three and uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but book three. And I was the the whole of the Stark family were travelling to the twins, and I was like, something bad, something bad is going to happen. I'm sure something bad is going to happen. I can't quite remember what it is. Something bad. And then I read the Red Wedding. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like I was in mourning. Yeah. It's awful. I think it's I, I think it's worse in the book than it was on the show. Although they obviously added some extra gore on the show, which was horrid. Um, with the the death of um, the baby, yeah. Oh God, <laughs> I, I mean, it's I, just horrendous. I think this is one of the things that, when I first read the books, that set them apart for me for so many other books is the fact that he's not precious about about his characters. Mm. He will cheerfully send send spend kind of half a book making you get kind of really empathise with the character and then kill them at the drop of a hat. Yeah. And it, it's, I mean, but it's not. It's not at the drop of a hat. It's they have to die because that's the way the story's going. Yeah, they, and they, they, they aren't. They are at the mercy of the plot. Yeah, unlike in most fantasy novels. But that's the point. Is that in most books, you assume, as you said, the kind of the good guys will win. Mm. They don't. No. You know, it, 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 at least it, kind of as the story is progressing, because he's going over such a sort of dynastic scale rather than just 
you know, it's a sort of a few years or kind of one person story, mm. he can afford to kill off characters and seem callous. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the kind of the, the kind of the art of his storytelling, isn't it? Is that he can make you, you know, really empathise with someone and then kind of pull the rug out from underneath you, and it's just like leave you, as as, as you say, kind of with all the stark stench. Like, you can't kill off all of the major or half mm-hmm. the major characters in one scene with almost no warning. <laughs> and, then, and, leave, and leave everybody going what <laughs> it was such did. a shock wasn't it like, I, I think it doesn't matter whether you read it in the books or you saw it on the show um i mean i, I read it in the books first and uh, and i can remember literally just gasping and neil sort of saying what's happened and i'm saying i can't even tell you I, and i sort of re i think i reread the scene thinking no i mean there, looking for the way out yeah there's, there's obviously the yeah. one, there's obviously the one later on um uh obviously the one with john and the whole you know for the watch that scene as well and again you're like no 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 that can't happen stop you know and you reread it again thinking i've missed something here you know this can't yeah, actually yeah. happen that's but, what um, i was alluding to earlier yeah. but it's um but i find it really really good fun because of course then when it was coming up on the show and you know you, 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 get, to ep- you get to episode nine that. you know it's going to be episode nine you know it's bound yeah. to be episode nine so you get to episode nine they've been hyping it up in the media anyway you know and i've got a couple of friends who'd read the books and some who hadn't and you know i literally sit down with neil to watch it and he and you know just think thinking this is going to be such a shock for him do i warn him but he hates that he doesn't want to be warned so but then i feel like i should sort of warn him that something bad's going to happen you know um. i know because my husband edward is, is the same he doesn't he hasn't read the books and he watches a show with me because the boobs and um, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was particularly series um four i think at the end of that um the the battle between the mountain and um, oh yeah yeah the prince Oberyn yeah. and um and i suddenly remembered just before it <laughs> happened what it was going to be and i went oh my god and um, i can and then it happened so i didn't actually get much chance to um, to ta- to warn him that that was going to happen but <laughs> it was, it yeah it's uh, it's strange like that when you're when you're watching it with someone who hasn't read the books um, but the, all the massacres, um, although they do seem gratuitous, um, the, <laughs> they, he ha- he does have a lot of historical precedent for that. So the one that um, always that I, I went straight to where, when I read the Red Wedding was um, uh, the Glencoe massacre. Mm. It, it just seemed so similar. I mean, it wasn't a wedding, um, but basically um, up in Glencoe, up in the Highlands, Scotland. Um, there are two, there are these two clans that have always warred, you know, the Campbells and the McDonald's. Um, and there was um, an event in 1692. So this was a time when William and Mary were on the throne. Um, so American um, listeners will understand who they are. Um, <laughs> and I used to work at Hampton Court Palace many years ago, part of which was built for William III. Um, so this was one of the stories that we, we researched there and presented. Um and uh, it's basically the the Campbells stayed with the McDonalds, and it's the the idea of this medieval idea, and it goes into this period of the seventeenth and eighteenth centuries of hospitality. If someone is under your roof, uh, if you know someone comes and they wants to stay with you, you give them hospitality, and they are protected by that hospitality. Nothing bad should ever happen to to them. Mm-hmm. But it didn't. Um, the McDonalds uh, put up the Campbells. Um, and the McDonald's didn't slaughter the Campbells. It was the other way around. <laughs> so the Campbells uh, were um, instructed by William III to basically massacre the McDonald clan. Um, and uh, because they hadn't pledged allegiance to William and Mary early enough. Um, so it's, it's, he's got 
this and there are other instances of this happening where people violate the law of hospitality mm-hmm. and kill their host or in or kill the guests um uh, throughout history and you were to, and and in myth as well aren't there yeah i'm i'm, I'm i can't remember the, the specifics but I'm, there is a um one of the viking myths of the sort of the norse gods where they they kind of the, they they do this to the giants and the Norse gods, are, I'm fairly sure it's kind of Thor and Loki working together, oh, yeah. um, pull one over on the on the sort of the giants by by essentially trapping them in a in a mead hall, getting them drunk, and then setting fire to the place. Mm. Um, so it, it's it's not a new thing, um, taking advantage of someone when they think they're under sort of guest right mm. under under sort of protection of hospitality. Um, it's the fact that it's so outrageous to the people who you're telling the story to. Mm. It's, I mean, you, you just can't conceive of kind of breaking that taboo. And, and by doing it, it's, it's what makes them sort of let their guard down. Um, so it's a, um, yeah, it's not a new story, but it, it's, a, it's a shocking one every time it happens. Mm. I think that's, um, that's part of the, um, the beauty of the, the books is George R. R. Martin's really trying to get you to think like, a med well medieval person almost <laughs> it's kind of you get really what you, you do you do feel completely aggrieved that this guy had would slaughter them in the middle of a wedding you know yeah um and you kind of um understands their point of view a lot of the time and when you hear about how jamie killed the mad king and why and you you've heard lots and lots of rumors bef- beforehand about the kingslayer and then he explains it to Brienne, uh, and you actually think, "Oh yeah, that kind of makes oh, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, it, it, It's the stories behind the kind of the, the kind of the rumor and the gossip and the slander. When you put he puts the personal spin on it, puts the it's what mm. makes the people human. It takes them away from being one dimensional, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's what makes the characters so. Whether or not you like them, makes them sort of much more believable. They are they are yes. humans. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. they're not heroes. They're not kind of the wizard. They're not, mm. you know, these one-dimensional characters that you often get in fantasy. Not all the time. There are yeah. some really good fantasy writers out there. Um, and though, but but so often there's a lot of bad fantasy where the characters are so um, awful. And, um, <laughs> and it, it, you know, the, the plot is uh, is very, you know, conventional and, and, yeah. um, and so on. And that's what kind of just blew my mind when I started reading George R. R. Martin. I think it's interesting you, you do kind of get those characters on appearing on the edge. I mean certainly when a character only turns up for one scene, then they're not going to have any motivation that you can see it and that, that you know mm-hmm. they're they're a bit part. But I mean people like Melisandre, she's kind of one dimensional. She is a bit actually. Or at least if there is more to her it's not I've not seen it yet. No, um, that's true. She 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 is kind of a she is the kind of the magical element. She's the sort of the force people don't understand she's from elsewhere so there's no explanation of her background her powers her other than sort of priestess um the lord of light thing mm. but nobody has a context for her so she is mysterious and she can just be this one-dimensional dark witch yeah 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 that's a good point right all right we're going to take another break um and then we're, when we come back um we'll talk about the the craft of storytelling a little bit more um so we'll be back in a couple of minutes all these things we make no apology are the study of archaeology but we don't do dinosaurs did aliens build stonehenge 
Did the Easter Island statues walk? Did the Vikings colonize Midwest America? What does mainstream archaeology have to say about all of this? Listen to the Archaeological Fantasies podcast and learn about popular archaeological mysteries. Hoax or fact? Learn to tell the difference with Dr. Kenneth Fader and co-host Sarah of the Archie Fantasies blog. Check out the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash Archie Fantasies and get ready to think critically. Let's get back to the show. Funny bitty blokes you will see are a staple of archaeology. And we're back. So, um, I, my, um, my guest just reminded me that uh, we haven't looked really outside Westeros and looked at the, the greater world, you know, Slaver's Bay, uh, Bravos, and all that kind of area. And there is, um, there seems to be a story in Game of Thrones that is completely divorced, really, from what's going on in, in the rest of the story. Everything is set in Westeros, except uh, there's a little story in Bravos with Arya, and then, um, eventually, but then Daenerys seems to be completely divorced from everything else. Um, uh, but then there, she does get tied in bit by bit to the goings-on. Um, I always found Daenerys' story really boring. What do you think, Luz? Um, do you I like think... It? I've never been a, a very much into dragons, I have to say. I see. I, see, I'm, I quite like. I quite like a dragon. I must admit. Um, and and I quite. I do quite like her as a character. Uh, I think at the beginning. I don't know. Even at the beginning, I found it quite interesting the way she grew quite quickly. You know, from being quite a scared little girl, really, to sort of. Um, you know, with Carl Drogo, was sort of finding her way there. You know, because she could have just been quite pathetic for a long time and and you know yeah well he did but i think she's a strong person inside anyway and i think once she realized she was sort of out of the power of her brother she sort of that's when she really found her own way and i quite i find that quite interesting and i think they did that very well on the show as well i think they showed that very well i got more interested in her story um once the tv show yeah rather than the book and i think it was all down to carl drogo and then he died Mm. i know that was really sad yeah. Badly. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, so, I mean, with with uh, Daenerys, she has got a bit of history, historical background as well, really, hasn't she? Um, in many ways, her kind of um campaign across Slavers Bay and in that area, um, is uh, it always reminds me of uh, Alexander the Great, really. Yep. And and taking different cities, setting up a you know, a new government in that city, moving on to the next. And then she got bogged down at Marine, which um, I suppose could be her Damascus, possibly, which is, uh, in case you didn't know, it's where Alexander the Great died. I didn't know that, actually. It's possible. I mean, the the, the kind of the difference is, I guess, Alexander starts with an army and decides to go conquer the world. Yeah. She starts with... With nothing. Uh, She did better than Alexander. (laughs) She had to build an army or steal it. I think that's so. So the story is is different in that sense. I mean, she she does have a kind of the idea of kind of journeying and and, and kind of creating her empire, but Alexander starts with already having an empire Mm. and and just looking to expand, whereas she's looking to, I mean, I guess retake an empire because she's looking for an army to eventually go to Westeros. Mm. That's her aim. Mm. Um, Although, in the short term, it's just to survive and keep the dragons alive, I guess. that's a spoiler if you haven't seen series one. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, the other the other way she differs is um, Alexander was not averse to slavery at all. Yes, that's true. Yeah, 
He didn't mind. <laughs> in fact, apparently when he took over Tyree, he sold all he killed all of the men and sold all the women and children into slavery. So in that in that way They're quite um, different, yeah. Yeah, yes. quite different. Not, not starting from the same moral high ground. Do you think <laughs> Luce, do you think that the idea of being against slavery is a little bit um anachronistic for I'm, I'm saying anachronistic it's it's fantasy given but no time, yes. <laughs> given that the, uh, but it's it's kind of set in that classical world really her part of the story yes it is yeah it's very it's i mean marine looks a, li- a little bit egyptian maybe or that that kind of area um and the classical world was rife with slavery and nobody thought batted an eyelid about it yeah and, and yet she she obviously is very very bothered by it isn't she and um, yeah, it's um, it's interesting because I think she, I don't know. Obviously, I'm I don't like slavery. You know, obviously, I think it's a bad thing. You but I do. Yeah. But, <laughs> I just needed to just mention that. You know, for your listeners. Um, but I do think that sometimes she gets a bit bogged down in it. You know, and and it depends on what her overall game plan is. There's you know several points when it's just like I think you're going a bit off topic here. You know, you need, you need to be sort of focusing on getting your army together and you know and, and getting over to Astros. And you're not really doing that because you want to stay here and you know look after these people but you didn't do that in the last place you know the last place you just left them and they've all, that's all gone wrong again and in fact they've come to attack you you know and i don't know she seems to make a lot of mistakes but still fall on her feet a little bit as well you know there's quite a lot a lot of luck involved i think with daenerys yeah with daenerys, um, i mean I feel that she should have died a long time ago really. yeah exactly whereas other people i think who've done a better job just died in unfortunate circumstances and I, I think she's she's staying alive quite well and I, I don't know I mean whether or not she's going to suddenly get killed off in some bizarre way you know or not even a bizarre way just some really mundane way it's the sort of thing that George R. R. Martin would do you know he would you know well, let her survive I think, I think he's he's, he's den- um, betraying his own his own um, ethos in that he is keeping a couple of characters alive that should have died I, I'm sure I'm sure Tyrion I read somewhere Daenerys. yeah I'm sure John yeah, well, well I, I think Arya as well. I think Arya's on that list as well. I think those yeah. four are the four that are probably going to be in it, n- at least nearly to the end, even if it's not right literally to the bitter end. Um, so I think those four will definitely hang in there. I'm sure he might have said somewhere, I think his original synopsis that he handed to somebody when he wrote the original books or before he started writing the books said that those four were going to survive. But then he had all sorts of different other plot ideas at that time, so you just don't know, do you, really? So. Um, yeah. Um, I think if he, if he kills Daenerys, then that whole plot arc is gone. Well, yeah, and, and a, a bit pointless. If he takes out Starks, there are more Starks. Yes. And the war in Westeros goes on. If he takes out Daenerys, then that whole part of the map just goes black, doesn't it? Exactly, and yeah. The, the and it's... left over there is Tyrion, and, you know, that's, it's, that's, he's not enough to keep the story going on his own. He's a, he's a supporting yeah. character, as wonderful as he is. Yeah. Um, and Peter Dinklage is a fact, yes, does him superbly. He's never. Amazing. He's never going to be the kind of the well. If he sits on the Iron Throne, he's not going to do it for very long, is he? No. Oh, I'd love to see Tim. <laughs> that would be great, though. Yeah. He, he, he couldn't. You know, he, he would never hold it. Somebody would stick a knife in him. He's hated by too many people. Mm. He would let ne- you know. No king's god in the world would protect him. And I think just just the person he is, he could never be a figurehead. He could he could rule. But he could rule in terms of being, you know, the hand of the king or that sort yes. of thing, you know, which is which basically who does the job anyway, really, isn't it? But he could never be the figurehead. He's not got that. Not he's not got that about him. That's not fair. But because of the person he is, and because obviously he's a dwarf and everything, uh, and because of his family history, because a lot of people don't like the Lannisters, he could never really be in that position. But he could rule, and he could do it very well, actually, as well, you know. But from from a, from an advisory role, from a supporting role. Yeah. 
Yeah, which um, brings me to, um, yeah, his greatest hour really was the Battle of the Blackwater. Mm. Um, and that is just straight out of um, post, well, kind of the Byzantine Empire history. Um, and it brings us back to King's Landing. And where was it? it um, in uh, Constantinople, they had a great chain across the bay that they could use against attacking forces, exactly like at King's Landing. Mm. And um, uh, there was a great battle of Constantinople when the um, uh, the caliphate, the Umayyad um, Islamic caliphate, tried to um, invade and take over Constantinople, which it was called at the time, mm. um, in 717 AD. And they used uh, the Greek fire against the... Uh, against the invaders there as well. So the Battle of the Blackwater is um, almost straight out of, of uh, that history there. And again, and as, as we say, Tyrion's greatest hour. It is interesting. We've, we've mentioned this before about how you've got so many different periods. <laughs> all from, We've talked about from the Roman period, pre-Roman period, through to uh, the 17th century, um, yeah, we've got the Alexander the Great and the, um, you know, the the Greek Empire, um, all all kinds of rolled into one somehow, and it and it kind of works. It's amazing storytelling, isn't it? It is. It, it's it's. I think what what kind of holds it together is the fact that he he has picked interesting episodes, and and, and clearly changed them and, and woven them together. But he's it gives him a kind of a starting point in many ways for. A believable story because the story is believable because it's at least partly true mm. um and mm. the, and the, a, a good story doesn't need a you can change the time you know you can change the place of point hence you can sort of set shakespeare plays in world war one or whatever and, and it still works because it's still a good story mm. and i think that's his that's his craft really is his 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 retelling of great stories mm. he is a bit like shakespeare actually isn't he because, oh, we'd love to hear that, I'm sure. I bet you would. <laughs> no, because that's exactly what Shakespeare did. He took so many different yeah. stories and worked yeah. them together in one. He would like that. <laughs> <laughs> Send him a copy of the podcast. Yeah, and it's he's he was clearly inspired by Coriolanus as well. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that's a pretty uh, pretty bloody play. Um, but is it is it really? I mean, we've talked to all about this. A lot of people will still dismiss the books and the show because it's fantasy what do you what do you what would you say to them loose it's very difficult i've had lots of conversations about fantasy books over the years with various people um and i the thing is i've loved fantasy books since i was a very young child you know i think i think most children love fantasy actually and i think somewhere along the line a lot of people lose that and i, I think that's a shame because i think it's wonderful um you difficult, prefer really. fantasy when it when it does have historical elements in it because I know I know I do. I mean, obviously. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I think that's the in fact. To be honest, some of the some of the books I read a long time ago were a lot of sort of historical fiction. I read quite a lot of historical fiction as well. Yeah. Um, things like um, James Michener and stuff, which were written a long time ago now, sort of 50, 60 years ago, mm-hmm. and those are excellent books actually. Um, obviously based on history they're based on I don't know if you've read any of them um, but they're based on a place and they literally go oh they're brilliant um, the bit, sorry this is completely off topic um, but they're based on like one place one location the characters are almost go through the generations um, right back and they can go through several thousands of years so you go through all the periods in history in that place so there's like one set in South Africa 
which is called The Covenant, I think, which is very good. And there's one set in, set in the Middle East. Um, to be honest, you learn an awful lot of history through them as well, which is yeah. what I quite like. So I, I really like that sort of thing anyway. Um, I think with Game of Thrones or, you know, Song of Ice and Fire, whatever you want to call it, um, I think because it's got elements of history and because you recognise those, even if you don't necessarily realise you do, I think that gives it a familiarity, which makes it always more accessible. I mean, certainly the friends I've got who, I've got friends who would swear that they'd never read fantasy, never watch fantasy, who love Game of Thrones. <laughs> not necessarily the books, but the show they do. And, and they, they sort of say things like, well, it's not really fantasy, is it? You know, it's just got a little bit of magic in it. It's not really fantasy. And I think, well, yes, it is. You know, it's got fantastical elements in it. But but they say, oh, yeah, but it's, it's more about the people. And I think yeah. it sort of crosses between the two. It is about the people. And... And I, I think the people in it are brilliant because, like we've said earlier, you you change your mind about the people. At the beginning, Jamie is just like a completely despicable character. Mm-hmm. You know, literally, episode one, or I don't even know if it's the first chapter or whenever it is, um, you know, pushes a child out of a window, you <laughs> yeah. know, um, after sleeping with his twin sister. You know, that, that doesn't really endear you to any audience, really. If it does, then there's something wrong Very with the audience. audience yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, you know, that, that moment when he's in that big bathtub with Brienne and he's telling, like you said earlier, the story about, um, you know, what happened that day with um, Aris Targaryen. Um, you know, then, you, you, you know, you begin to see things from his point of view and your, your opinions of him change. And even within chapters and within scenes, you know, even there's times with Cersei that you think, gosh, yeah, I actually really feel for her because that's her child, you know? I mean, I know he's a nasty piece of work, but when she's looking down at um, Joffrey and Joffrey's dying, you know, you can, and, she, and to give her credit, um, um, what's she called? Lena, Lena, isn't it? She, she plays the character amazingly well and you look into her eyes and, you know, as a mother, you know, yes, he's a nasty piece of work and he's an awful person, but as a mother, you think to yourself, yeah, I can empathise with how she feels. And, um, and I think that's absolutely brilliant. So I think a lot of people who don't like fantasy, and watch, they might watch a few episodes and then they get quite into it, actually, which I think is quite good. I've had a lot of friends converted to it. Not that I've converted, because I don't really mind what other people watch. But, um, you know, have come to me and said, actually, it's really good, you know, so... Because um, it it's, you're right, it's definitely about the people. And um, uh, you, you've, you just see every now and again a little bit of the White Walkers or the Dragons. And what's also interesting, in the books, much more than in the show, there's more of a sense of, well, these dragons are actually creatures... And they need to be looked after or they need to be controlled and they have um, they're going to go off and do their own thing once they get huge. They're not going to, you know, you can't um, uh, just have them magically be lovely things that do everything that you tell them um, because they're they've um, they, they are actually alive. And if you think of a creature like that, what would it go and do? It would go <clears> and poach <throat> sheep or kill children. Mm. and that's that's the whole thing i think that kind of one of the reasons that that perhaps for me kind of it, that it feels more realistic is because the people the vast majority of them don't believe in magic and yeah. that comes out more in the in the books i think where the, um the maesters are saying you know i've practiced magic in the citadel i learned how to do it and it doesn't work every maester mm. it's absolute rubbish yeah nobody actually really i mean they, they can see the skulls of the dragons set up in king's landing yeah. but nobody believes in the white walkers anymore it's fairy tales yeah. yeah but what's lovely is that in the books as well you get a sense of the magic growing again yes it's starting mm, to come back yes you do because the dragons are alive is it because the dragons are back or, or it's, it's or is yeah, it the yeah. white walkers it's all yeah, yeah. But some, mm. something's changing in the world isn't it yeah. the magic is coming back yeah is it winter is it, is it winter magical? yeah the winter is coming well i think on that note <laughs> <laughs> the winter is coming 
um we will we will end there we could go on all night um but it's been absolutely wonderful to talk to you guys thank you so much for joining me um so thanks again to lucy hooton thank you Luz. thank you thank you it's been lovely yep. we'll do this again in a couple of weeks right excellent yeah <laughs> <laughs> and thank you very much brett thorne for joining me today not at all thank you very much um and um yes we, we will be looking at i'll be recording another episode of uh, prehistories we'll get back to prehistory um and leave this pesky fantasy and history stuff alone for a little while at least for a little while um so thank you ever so much for listening everybody and um please do listen to some of the other podcasts um on the archaeology podcast network presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.